All right. Well, as we uh, as we uh, start back up, uh, and we're we're really talking about helping our children move along. The next uh, the next uh, step in this is going to be uh, you're equipping them for adulthood. Now that doesn't happen when they're about to finish high school or they're about to go off to college. This starts before they get into elementary school. This is, this is uh, ongoing uh, stuff th that from the very beginning because uh, it, it includes values and skills, beliefs, self-esteem, self-discipline. That's stuff you've been working on from the time they're little and all the way up until they get older. Um, financial responsibility. Uh, you see there it says stay out of debt or G-O-O-D. You know, anybody knows what that is? Stay out of debt or get out of debt. And uh, let me say that uh, uh, I was one of those uh, that did not have a role model at all in this uh, regard. Uh, and I'll give you, I'll give you a piece. Of, I've got one of my, one of the classes that I teach um, is on ministry finance. And uh, when we teach that, the very first thing, obviously, we do uh, the uh, uh, theology of, st of stewardship to start with to say, okay, what does scripture have to say about all this? But before we get to ministry finance, I said we go into personal finance because I tell these young, these are young pastors and missionaries and folks that are going to be ministry leaders. And I tell them, who, who gives you the right, the authority or the privilege to stand before anybody and say anything about somebody else's finances if you don't have your own house in order. So let's uh, let's start it. Let's start personal. And so I said I'm gonna I, I'm gonna share with you my my financial testimony. And I said anybody ever heard that? And I'm not talking about a stewardship program at a church. I'm talking about a legitimate financial testimony. And uh, and I launch into uh, how at one point in in our lives. And uh, I, I I would say. You know, God has blessed uh, us and our ministry uh, in so many different ways, uh, serving as a, as a lead pastor, as an executive pastor, as a youth pastor. Uh, I've worked for our International Mission Board. I've traveled all over the world doing training for our missionaries. Uh, I've worked as a director of missions in an association that oversees and nurtures churches and pastors. Um, I've worked uh, for a state convention as a collegiate minister, uh, University of Washington, uh, five campuses in the Portland area, uh, Portland, Oregon area. And, and I said, in the midst of all that, uh, we've, we've gotten good marks wherever we've gone that, that, that uh, we have been uh, applauded and faithful. I finished never, never dreaming, never thinking, never desiring to teach finished the last 12 years of my 51, uh, and, and that one's continuing because I'm doing it online, but teaching in one of our seminaries. And I said, in spite of all that, the, 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 the miserable failure part of my life was in the area of personal finance. And, it, and at one time, I told him, I said, I said, we were $90,000 in credit card debt, and that didn't count the mortgage or the cars zero. And so when I arrived at uh, where I was executive pastor in California back in 03, 
Um, w- about two weeks into that, uh, one of our deacons took me out to, we were out to play golf. And on the very first hole, he said, have you and Janet ever been through crown ministry? And I said, mm, I don't know. No, I don't know what that is. And he took 18 holes to tell me what crown ministry was. And three months later, I came home and I said, Janet, we have to do crown ministry. I said, she said, why? And I said, because Dan won't get off my back. He is a bird dog on this. He is just a bulldog. He's he's on me night and day. And so we finally did it. And Crown Ministries, it was about a 10-week workbook style thing created by some of the Christian financial planner guys like Dave Ramsey. It's not his Peace University. It was before then um, stuff. And, uh, And so in the very first week, you have to give your you have to give your testimony, and I said, well, I looked at Janet after looking at the directions, and I said, well, we got one of two choices: we're either going to have to lie through our teeth, or we're going to have to be brutally honest, and it's going to be painful. And 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 the biggest source of friction in our marriage, of how long we've been married, <laughs> that's why I keep her around so she remembers this thing. It will be 40, it'll be 46 in April. I know, I know when, April 15th. <laughs> you know, I tell you, you pick a day that you can never forget, you know. So, uh, so uh, I, I, said, I said, we're going to have to lie or we're going to have to be brutally honest. And if we're honest, this is going to hurt. Because, because we're going to have to be vulnerable and show. And, and we decided that that was the experience that got us on the same page in that regard. And, and whether it's finance or whatever it else is in your life, men and women in the room, you got to do something to make sure you're on the same page. And it took a bunch of years before we were t- uh, on the same page on that one. And so after going through Crown, the Lord brought a guy into our life. He's become our financial uh, advisor for the last, since 2005 or six. Um, and, and so I remember he had sent me some stuff. He said, now just fill this out and this will be our discussion. Our first time we meet, he came to our house, sat down at our kitchen room table and I had the papers there face down on the, cause I was embarrassed. I mean, one of them is debt, debt. How much do you owe? And I kind of sheepishly slid it over and I wouldn't even look him in the eye. And he says, here, look at me, look at me. And then he looked down at the paper and he says, he pointed to it and he says, that is just a number. He says, I can fix that. He pointed right here. He said, this is up to you. Now, I had a heart attack in 2015, had quadruple bypass surgery. And then the month after my surgery, I went in to meet with my uh, surgeon who had done the surgery. He said the same thing. He said, I've fixed your heart. He says, but keeping it fixed is up to you. It fits everywhere we are in life. And, and I want you to know that we've got to be willing. We must be willing to be vulnerable to realize we don't have all the answers. And when it comes to our children, we especially don't have all the answers. 
because just about time you think you've learned it all and seen it all, there's going to be something new coming around the corner at you. And so I just want to encourage you. Um, that's just another part of the responsibility of equipping them, providing them with a Christian worldview. They, they need to know how, the, how the, uh, a Christian rightly views the world. They need to know what it's all about, how it works, how it fits, how it functions. Because I promise you, the street's going to treat, teach them the other side of the, of the, of the road. They will do that. They will, they will learn that. And then you need to teach them confidence. We've already, we've already done that. First uh, um, uh, Timothy 4.12 verse from Paul to Timothy. And, and, uh, and it's, a, it's a matter of continuing to equip them to become everything that God has created them to be. Now, Teenagers, tired of being harassed by your stupid parents? Act now. Move out, get a job, pay your own bills. Do it while you still know everything. <laughs> They're going to realize, oh, oh whoops, this is, this is harder than it, than it sounded like. Um, and so, so, so keep in mind, you're equipping them for the real world. And it's harsh. It's mean. It's unrelenting. It's unforgiving. And they need to learn to navigate it. You know, um, I got to I got to tell one more little quick side story um, because we do have those points in life when we feel sorry for ourselves. We do. We do. God, why could why did you let that happen to me? So I'm sitting in staff meeting with our church pastor on that uh, senior pastor. I'm the executive pastor, our minister of music and our minister of youth are sitting there. And so. Minister of Music, a female, she starts off and she's telling about uh, her son, same age as our son, a few months, maybe six months older, um, wasn't supposed to survive birth, wasn't supposed to live for two weeks, wasn't supposed to see his first birthday, wasn't supposed to live, I mean, that's been his story of his life for 40 plus years. Um, he, uh, if we go out to eat, he'll order food, He'll eat it to be polite and kind and not uh, upset us, but his body will not fun uh, um, whatever, digest anything. It just passes on through. And so he has a, a, a line feeding tube. He's had it since he was born. And, and so uh, Beth would tell different stories about what's going on in his life and ups and downs and runs to the emergency room and this and that and the other, their whole life. Their other son uh, uh, was on a church staff up in New England, got to drinking, alcohol obsessed. He lost his marriage over that before he got sober. He got sober, but it was too late. The marriage was gone. And so I'm hearing her story of asking for a prayer for her kids. Our senior pastor, he, uh, they, uh, one natural and one adopted, and their adopted son, uh, learning disabilities, and he, he, he would describe their day. He said, I'd get home 5, 5.30 on a day when we didn't have anything in the evening. And he said, just doing dinner and getting homework done and getting baths done and getting them into bed. He says, 5 to you know, 11 o'clock, and I fall into bed exhausted every day. Every day, unrelenting, it doesn't give up. Comes around to our youth pastor and 
and she's got one daughter, two daughters, but one of them is, is the uh, older daughter is having eating disorders and dealing with that, all the nightmare that goes on with the eating disorder. Younger sister now, now that big sister's getting all the attention, uh, she, as a high school student, younger daughter in middle school is now acting out all over the page and getting in all kinds of trouble. And it's just an ongoing back and forth, back and forth between the health and the act, uh, the behavior of the two. Uh, it's, it, it's just unrelenting. It doesn't give up. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, God, I was feeling sorry for myself before I came in here. And you've... You've provided us with two kids that love you. They're healthy. They're still in, actively involved in church as, as young adults. God, forgive me. Forgive me. We have to do our best to equip them for what's coming next in life realizing that there are no guarantees. No guarantees. You do everything you've been called to do, be everything you've been called to be, and you help them launch. And then we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. You, you pray, and you continue to pray, and you support them however you can. Well, the next piece Let's, let's get the kids out of the equation for a minute, uh, or at least they're, they're in the room, but you've got to love your spouse in front of them. And they need to understand that your spouse always comes first. Always. No exceptions on this one. The spouse always comes first. Because some of you uh, know people or have heard it said, we're only in this for the children. Out of the several thousand applications of young journeymen that I read when I was during my 15 years at the International Mission Board, I cannot tell you how many times the youngest, when they became a college freshman, parents divorced. Why? Because we're only in this for the children. All of a sudden they look around the house and there's no children anymore, so there's no reason for us to be together. I want you to realize that you guys are the glue for their long-term stability. You are it. And so you've got to let them know that you love your spouse. You've got to let them know that. Your kids will learn affection by your example. They will learn that. However... Don't embarrass them by overdoing it with public displays of affection. But this next phrase, I only said it once. I think I only had to say it once. But I, uh, it was uh, during probably my son's second year. He'd finished one year of college. was home. And he said something to his mother. And my, my exact words with him, don't ever talk to my wife like that again. I didn't say, don't talk to your mother like that again. I said, don't talk to my wife like that again. Because I wanted him to be, be, to be certain that she comes before even him and his sister. And you've got to help your kids know that. Now, 
you love them all. You do. And you have to, and you must, and you, and you, and you can. But you've got to make certain that they understand the pecking order here. And that, that, uh, that y the two of you were in this long before they came along. And the two of you, hopefully, will still be together long after they're out of the nest and gone and on their way. So just keep that in mind. Many a times we equate Genesis 2.24, the two shall become one flesh with intimacy and affection and a physical relationship. It applies to parenting, parenting as well. <laughs> you guys better be one. You, if, it, if mom says it or if dad says it, it better be, they better be hearing one voice regardless of who says it, they've got to, they've got to know that. And, uh, and, and, and it's just, uh, it's just, it's just really, really, really important. Well, intimacy is your key to success. Intimacy and your intimacy. Number one, first and foremost, starts with God. Your intimacy starts with God. How do you know him? Well, you know him because of this. This is how you know God. This is where you've learned about him. This is how you've studied about him. Uh, we, we, we do develop a more personal relationship through the Holy Spirit. But this is still, this is still our resource for understanding that intimacy with God is paramount. And uh, again, we can't, we can never overstate that when, when, when Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's all of us. That's all of us. He came looking for us. You know, we didn't, we didn't stumble upon something, you know, he, you know, he found us. And so keep that in mind. And then that translates down to relationship, mom and dad, husband and wife. And then it translates to these kids. And, and, and we have to help them understand the importance and the value of that, of that uh, intimacy. And you must give it in order to get it. Okay? You want them to be intimate with you, then you need to model that before them. You need to model that uh, uh, in, in front of them. You get close and you stay close. And on our rope here... Mom and dad, especially, especially once they leave the home and, and they literally have, have turned loose of their end because, hey, they're, they, they run their own life and, they, and they're on their, their own person. But, but figuratively, you've moved all the way back up and you've got your hand on the black tape in the middle to let them know I'm here and, 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 and will always be here for you in that regard. Intimacy with your kids will change as they grow. Snuggling up on your lap will change as they get older. Okay, doesn't it? Doesn't it? it, it if you got an old, if they're old enough, you you know it does. And affection may shift from mom to dad, and perhaps back again. Oh, when they're little, that's painful. You know. They come running to mom, and then all of a sudden, now for a period of time, they just run to dad. And mom's going, what's going on? You know, and then all of a sudden, they're back to mom, and dad's going, wait, I thought, uh, I, I thought I was in the equation. Hey, don't take it personal. It's what they do. It's what they are. And it's at different stages of their life. It's what they need. And so that, the reality is you both be there for them on an ongoing, regular basis. Be there. Once you figure it out, pass it on. 
Um, this really doesn't fit exactly, but I wanted you to hear it because I think it is so significant. A missionary friend says one of the most important things and greatest needs for a Muslim. I want you to think about this Muslim context after coming to faith in Christ is to see how a Christian family functions. They must learn how a husband loves his wife and how a wife submits to her husband and how together they raise their children. You need to stop and remember and think through the fact that much of the world is still a male-dominated culture where women are little more than property, a possession, okay? Sorry that that's true to the women around the world, but it is the truth. And so because of that, in, in that example, he said the greatest thing they knew when we start the discipleship process is they have to learn. And so we try to have them into our home so I can model a, a healthy relationship between me and my wife. And they can see how we parent our children because they don't know how to do that. They don't. You know, I mean, when you're a, when you're a second class citizen or nothing more than property and you can be disposed of, uh, you know, um, you know, I mean, when we read the New Testament, there's not much fair in the New Testament until Jesus started to make some definitive changes. Stop and think about, you know, we, we, we seldom talk about when we talk about that story about the woman caught in adultery. Well, if she was really caught in adultery, wouldn't there be a guy here also? Well, that wasn't the point of the story. It wasn't the point of the argument. It wasn't the point of the trap they were trying to set. It also wasn't culturally significant. She was the, she was the one who was at fault, you know, not him. And so, 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 so keep in mind here that uh, this, this whole um, this whole piece uh, really becomes important that, that we figure out how to do it and that we pass it on. When we get to the book of Titus, Paul drops Titus off and he says, okay, now we've got to get the, we got to get the elder thing set up in these churches. And then he goes into, he's giving direction on how to deal with the, the people. What, what, what are we teaching the folks in our churches? And, and he gets, uh, we get to Titus and, and um, uh, chapter two, um, we have, uh, we teach the older men in verse two, verse three, likewise teach the older women. And then in, within that uh, training of the older women, it says, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. Okay. Now, part of that means you have responsibility to teach those who came before you. But culturally, in, in the 21st century, that also means some of you younger ladies, hey, invite one of, the, one of these older ones who've been down the road ahead of you, invite them to lunch, get to know them. And, and to, to, to pick their brain and see what it means to, to, uh, to, to, to be a mom uh, through all the way through to 
launching them into uh, real life. And so uh, seeking counsel from those who've gone before you is a really important piece of the equation. Well, the next thing is that you need to be blessing your children. A blessing is a good, the good ensured by God's favor. That's what a blessing is. A blessing, it, it, when we pronounce a blessing, we are, we are uh, talking about the good that in, is ensured by God's favor, okay? Uh, we, uh, blessings convey a gift with a powerful word, and that, those words are powerful from us. And when we are blessing our children, uh, that, that is, is conveyed, and it comes across in a very po- powerful way. Um, God does grant us that opportunity to, to bless others. Um, and, and, and whether, whether, uh, they ask for it or not, um, our kids desire your blessing as a weighing of a way of knowing they're pleasing you. Okay. Um, I think if everything is healthy and everything goes right, and even sometimes when it's not healthy, they will still be seeking your thumbs up in their life. They're, they're, they're wanting that. That's, that, that that's, a, that's powerful for them. That's meaningful for them. And uh, uh, let, let me say that uh, that was probably, that was probably the most painful thing in my life is, is that uh, finding out uh, through one of my siblings after my father died the one who raised me by himself, uh, and and uh, the, the 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 painful side of that, uh, our relationship never became what I hoped it would be, and and it was just a uh, it, it was a it was a difficult uh, experience, uh, especially knowing now that that those days were over and and his life was on this earth was gone. Um, and and when you when you try your entire life to to win the approval, uh, I mean, when your kids are little, they love it when you know you're, you're they please you. They love that. They love it. And they're, and 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 they're not going to stop even when they get bigger. Now it'll it'll morph into something different. It'll look different. It'll feel different. But they're still looking for your approval. And so my encouragement to you is you bless them uh, whenever you can. And then obviously, uh, this is the one thing that you never, never, ever give up on is you pray for your children. Um, and um, first, you end up praying with them. That's how they're going to learn to pray. They learn to pray because you taught them. Uh, that, that, that's where they get it. But then you continue to pray and you don't, you don't give up. Um, uh, probably the best example is long after they're out of the house, um, you, 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 you pray for them without ceasing in many ways that, that, that way we've been called to pray to God. Yeah. You do that with your kids. And, uh, and, 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 and recently our, our daughter was on an, uh, overseas trip with some friends, uh, a holiday vacation type experience to a, um, to a really uncharted water, uh, you know, destination, uh, deep in, the, uh, South of South America. And, 
and I, when we shared this prayer request with our senior adult group, I said, well, the prayer is really, you can pray for Megan, that's okay. But really, you're praying for Janet. Because mom is the one who's on pins and needles from the moment before she leaves until she gets home. And, uh, and, and I could tell uh, when Megan got home, she called us and we had a long talk and she was t- talking us through. And I could see the relief that was just kind of poured over mom because, you know, she knew that she was home. Now, she lives, uh, th- then, then reality hit her. Uh, she realized well, gosh, my, my daughter lives in Los Angeles and she drives in Los Angeles traffic every day of the week. You know, she, li- she lives in more danger than she was in, you know, kind of thing. So, so anyway, that keeps her praying. Uh, uh, nothing, nothing will ever substitute for the prayers you have for your children. And then there's a passage I want to read to you from Nehemiah. If you, if you don't know Nehemiah, Nehemiah went back during the exile and he is rebuilding the, uh, the wall in Jerusalem. And uh, boy, it's an elaborate plan. I mean, this is, this is planning and organization 101, the entire book of, uh, of uh, Nehemiah. But uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses uh, 13 and 14. And so, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posted them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And I looked things over. I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And so he said, hey, a fight is coming. Protect them. Well, we know what that means when they're little teeny tiny, you know, if, if, if they're in a, sitting on something that doesn't have a, you know, and they can roll off and fall on the floor, we, we protect them. We don't put them up, you know, and leave them. Uh, but, uh, but that protection never stops. We continue that protection uh, all the way through. Um, and so uh, as, 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 we, uh, as we draw down, um, I want to I share with you, uh, this, uh, some of the mistakes that parents make. Mistakes that parents make. Um, the first one is failure to be a consistent model. And uh, those of you who've heard, do as I do, do as I say, not as I do, you know that doesn't fly. That doesn't work. And um, I mean, I can still hear it. it that, that is in a recording looped in my brain. I can still hear my dad's voice. When, when, when I say that failure to admit when you're wrong. Um, and, and if you're one of those that say, well, I, I'm the adult, I'm always right. Then, well, oops, cause you won't be, you won't always be right. Failure to give honest answers to honest questions. Because when you hear, because I said so, that's why that doesn't cut it either. Those are, those are painful moments when you have to hear that and you're trying to figure out why, but because I said so. Um, failure to let your kids develop a personal identity. And, and, and I promise you, they'll, they'll be all over the page. If you've got more than one, you already have two pages. More than, you know, you guys have seven pages and they'll all be, you know, 
couple of them might follow each other, but most of them, they're going to they're gonna do what they do. And, and God bless them. You, you encourage that and you, you nurture that and you help them in that regard uh, with their personal identity. Failure to major on the majors and minor on the minors. And so go back to that list of, of, of the issues that I read out earlier, which hills are worth dying on, and, and determine. Because you, you have to be the one that determines that. What, what's what's going to fly and what's not going to fly? What am I going to allow and what am I not going to allow? Um, and that will change and morph the older they get. Um, failure to communicate approval and acceptance. Um, and, and again, remember, we separate the child from the behavior. We, we make sure that we're not attacking the person. We're attacking the behavior. That's what we're, that's what we're attacking there. Um, failure to give your child the right to fail. Because they will. They will, they will fall and stumble. Uh, sometimes when they're real, real little, you help them get up. But the older they get, the more you have to let them get themselves up because you won't always be there to help them when they fall. So they need to know and need to learn. And especially when the stakes get bigger and the, and, and everything is, is more important. You, uh, you help them in that regard. Um, failure to discuss the uncomfortable and, uh, and then failure to make time. And, uh, I just, I just pray that when, when they want to engage, I hope you will always be ready to engage because they won't always be ready. You'll want, there'll be sometimes you want to, you want to discuss this, that they're, they're not, they're not in a ready or now you may have to, you may have to force that issue depends on the issue. But the reality is when they're ready to engage, I hope you're always going to be ready at that regard. Um, the next maintain home field advantage. Um, I hope that you create an environment where your kids enjoy bringing their friends. Wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you rather have the kids and the gang at your house knowing what's going on rather than they're over there wondering what's going on? Is there a difference there? You, you, you feel that difference? Do you feel the, the unknown side of that versus what you can know? And, and if, 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 you've, if you've created an atmosphere that they want to. Um, we were at my son's wedding and uh, I don't think it was his idea. I think it was his, my daughter-in-law's idea, but they had six, uh, what do you call those? Groomsmen and bridesmaids. Each of them had six. I think it was because she had six. He had to get six, you know, and we sat there and as the wedding, I mean, was, and we're, the, the guys are marched in and all the girls have now marched in and we're waiting for Ottoman's dad and her to come down the aisle. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at the Aaron and these six guys that are with him. And I'm, I'm thinking, these guys grew up at our house. All six of these, all six of these guys were at our house, you know, on a regular basis, you know, and uh, now hers, no, no, because they were from all over the world. I mean, she was an Air Force kid, and uh, I mean, she, she had uh, Indian 
uh, one one was from India and and just a variety of girls that but and they didn't know each other like these six guys. I mean I mean they were they've been buddies forever, and so so home field man and 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 look there's a reason teams want to play the big games at home. There's a reason for that. Home field advantage is powerful, and so. I'm encouraging you, you create that atmosphere. You create that place they want to be. And, and, and so, you know, I mean, me, growing up as a kid, I didn't want my friends at my house. No, because my dad might come home. And that won't be pleasant. That won't be fun, you know. And, and so I, I, just, I just, you know, um, and then, okay, we got to deal with this, men. You need to go clean up your room. Well, guys don't do that. That's woman's work. Well, I've never heard anything more ridiculous. Do what your mother says now. Later that day, son, first rule of guys club is you do not repeat the stuff you hear in guys club. And so dads, be careful not to create some alternate universe out there that Junior's going to bring up that's going to come back to bite you. Okay, uh, and, that, and this is this is that be on the same page stuff. So, uh, um, um, all of these, uh, everything here is going to begin at home. You don't want it to start at the police station. You don't want it to start at the hospital, uh, not in the car, but at home. And so that's that's really where um, all of this is is pointed. Now. Uh, when you get home, uh, first of all, let me say that um, this has, uh, some of you guys work in industry where you've had uh, opportunities where there's a data dump, you know, and you're just dumping data and somebody's going to have to sift through that eventually and work through it and all that. I, that's what I've done today for you. I've done a data dump on you of, of giving you more than your mind and your heart can uh, absorb. And so you're going to have to go back and walk through this carefully. And this isn't all because we've got a packet of stuff back there that we're not even going to talk. Uh, all kinds of kids and some in, in, in the same family. And it's got a list of the different kinds, uh, you know, of personalities that, that, that your kids can, can be. And, and it's, 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 it's funny and it's scary at the same time as you read through that list and see the, the difference. Questions that need answers uh, about parenting, traits of a healthy family, signposts and speed bumps, spiritually empowered parents, training tools, and teach your kids. There's all, it's all additional material that I chose to say, hey, we'll send it home with you and let you digest it at home because a lot of what we've talked about here this morning has to be that. And if you stick with it long enough, you get to be the gray-haired, bearded guy uh, in, that, in that picture. Um, and I, I want you to remember to be kind. Be kind to your children. Be kind to them. And that this is not a sprint or a marathon, but it's an ultra marathon with no finish line. There is no stopping. You guys have stepped into a world that doesn't have an end. This side of heaven. You're in this for the long haul. And so we end in the same place that we started with train up a child and the way it should go.
when he's old, he will not turn from it. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for the fact that you are our Father, that you are deeply concerned for our well-being, that you love us so much that you gave your only Son to down a cross for us. And because of the relationship we have through your Son, we now get to be counted as your sons and daughters. Lord, I thank you for the parents in this room. I thank you, Father, for the privilege that you have given them to be the type of godly influence on the sons and daughters that you've brought into their life. Some in natural ways, some in adopted ways, and some in foster ways. We thank you that we can be called and wear the title of mom or dad. I pray, Father, that as we go from this place, that you will daily and constantly remind us of the heavy lifting required to do it right. And when we don't always get it right, you are there to correct and help us to get back on track. And so, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and ask that you walk from this place with us. And we pray that we have brought honor and glory to you this day by the things that have been said. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.